Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who was accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a myriad of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. Before we start this episode, a quick word about another Crime Story Media production. October 2014. Was David Martinez responsible for killing Pomona SWAT officer Sean Diamond? That's at the heart of Night Raid, a new podcast from Crime Story Media. Subscribe or follow wherever you get this podcast. In our last episode, we continued our review of the testimony of Colleton County Detective Laura Rutland, who was the first investigative law enforcement officer to arrive at the murder scene with the detective's authentication of an interview with the defendant Alex Murdoch conducted at the scene of the murders. In this installment, we conclude our review of Detective Rutland's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It is the morning of January 27th, 2023, the third day of the Alex Murdoch murder trial. Prosecutor John Metters continues his direct examination of Colleton County Detective Laura Rotland. In our last episode, Metters played for the witness and for the jury a video recording of an interview that she and an agent from South Carolina's State Law Enforcement Division named David Owen conducted with the defendant, Alex Murdoch, in Agent Owen's vehicle. After Metters has Detective Rutland establish that the interview was recorded at approximately 12.57am on the morning of June 8th, 2021, and that it was not a particularly aggressive interview, he asks the witness about other aspects of her crime scene investigation. As a part of your investigating procedure, had you listened to the 911k prior to this? We did. And you said, who's we? Uh, Myself and Special Agent Owen. Have that 911 knowledge in your mind when you were listening to this? Had you already heard it? Uh, yes. On the 911 tape, how long had Alex Murdoch told the 911 operator been since he'd seen Maggie Murdoch? He's estimated uh, one and a half to two hours. Two hours. Mm-hmm. One and a half to two hours. And on this tape, your interview, what had he said about seeing Maggie? When was the last time he'd seen Maggie Murdoch? That she about two hours. Did he say he took a nap? He took a nap. Did he say where he went after that? To check on his uh, mother with Alzheimer's in Hampton. Did you find that on YouTube? I did. Why? Just the time of night. Why? With her uh, being an Alzheimer's patient, they tend to be worse at night, so I seemed it was strange to go visit. What time was the 911 call? 10.06. This interview was 12.57? Yes, that's correct. In your interview, in Agent Owen's interview, did uh, the defendant Alex Murdoch tell you he tried to turn Paul up? He did. Did he say whether or not he had tried to check Paul's pulse and or Maggie's pulse? 
He stated he tried to check both. What, what did Mr. Murdoch, the defendant, Alex Murdoch, say about the phone, if anything, that was in Paul's possession? He stated his phone popped out of his pocket. When? When he tried to check his pulse. Did he try to turn him over? That's what he said. Yeah, there's a scene here where Murdoch is looking at his phone. Do you remember that? Correct, yes. Can you actually see the phone in there and the times and the messages on the video that he's looking at? You can on the bottom left of the screen. And, and what was that in response to that he was looking at? When I asked what time he texted Maggie. So you saw those on his phone looking at those when y'all were talking to him in the car? I couldn't see from where I was sitting, but reviewing the video, I could see it. Reviewing the video, did you see it? Yes. Toward the end of the interview, did Mr. Murdoch say again he tried to turn over his son, Paul Murdoch? He did. Did he try to check it? That's what he said. And I know I asked you at first, but I may not have done it too eloquently. Did he first tell you he tried to turn him over? Yes, he did. And I figured it out? Yes. And his cell phone popped out of his pocket? That's correct. And, and, and everybody heard it, but then something with it thinking maybe then I put it back down really quickly, then I went, and it's, you can't really understand the rest of it. Yes. What did you think about the phone popping out? That would seem... The objection sustained. Have you ever moved dead weight? I have. Judge, these are a couple of these pictures that uh, I think they have this on top of it. Just to warn everybody, these are graphic photos. Who's this a picture of? That's Maggie Myrtle. Did the defendant say he checked her phone? He did. Did he tell you where? He did not. And before I get to it, did the defendant ever tell you he'd been down to the kennels that night in this interview? No. After his nap, where did he say he went? Went to check on his mother in Hampton. Court's permission, I'd like for the detective to come down, please, Judge. Yes. Did the defendant tell you he tried to get the pulse of his son, Paul Murdoch? He did. Did he tell you where he tried to get the pulse? He did not. Just said he tried to turn him. Say that last time. He thing. tried to turn him. And he told you he tried to turn him more than once, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, I can lead here on How many times did he tell you he tried to turn him? Uh, twice. I think you've testified you tried to lift dead weight, right? I have. Can you describe what's around Paul Murdoch? Blood and brain matter. And where's hands? Underneath his body. If you were to check the pulse of his hands, how would you do it? You would have to try to lift him up and get his arms out from under him. Underneath? Correct. And roll? Correct. By the way, where's his phone? It's laying on the back side of his shorts. Right there. Popped out, he said. Yes. Is that his brain? That is. Mr. Harpootman said blown out of his head? Correct. If you tried to check the, take the pulse at the neck, how would you do it? You would have to try to lift his shoulder to get access his neck. This way? Correct. Whether you're this way or this way. Correct. Either underneath or over here. Is that right? Yes. Is that right? Is yes. That, so, mm -hmm. go back and sit down. Thank you. When you first saw Alex Murdoch at the car, did you observe? I did. Why? Just to make mental notes of what he was wearing and how he looked. What were your mental notes? That he was clean. When you were in the car with him, you were behind him. I was. Did you observe his hands? I did. Did you see his arms? I did. And when you were out on the side of the road beforehand, did you see his shirt? I did. His pants? Yes. His shoes? Yes. Now, when you were at the scene, when you first got there, did you see any footprints in the book? No. Did you see any knee prints in the book? No. Anywhere around the body? No. Did you look at his shoes? I did. What kind of shoes? Alex Murdoch's shoes. What kind of shoes were they? They were like an athletic tennis shoe. Did you see 
anything that appeared to be blood on his shoe? I did not. I want you to look at the legs and toes. Did you see what appeared to be blood on Alex Murdoch's hands? I did not. On his arms? No. On his shirt? None. On his shorts? No. On his shoes? I did not. How long was this after the 911 call? Two hours, th two to three hours. All this fresh in his mind? Yes. How would you describe the defendant's hands when you saw him when you were interviewing him? How would you describe his hands? They were clean. How would you describe his arms? They were clean. How would you describe his t-shirt? Clean. How would you describe his shorts? Clean. How would you describe his shoes? They were clean. Was his phone taken that night, Alex Murdoch? I believe so. You're not sure? I'm not sure, no, sir. So it may not have been taken? Yeah. Now, you were working with this. Um, hey, you know what's saying? Ms. David Owens, you were working with this lady? Yes. When you, um, after this interview, did you go to the actual house at 4147 now? I did. Okay. Did you go inside? I, just in the foyer, yes. Okay. Did Agent Owens go inside? He did. Were the defendant's shirt, shoes, and pants collected by Agent Owens? Yes. You didn't go ahead and meet him? I did not. Okay. And those are the same shirts, shoes, and pants he was wearing there? Correct. And SLED got them that night? Yes. Okay. After this, did you assist SLED in some, some things that came up in the investigation? I did. Okay. And I don't believe this would be objective, to, but did you assist them with getting Maggie's car? I did. Some other cell phone evidence? Search warrants. Were there a search of some of the areas that you attended? Yes. In and around? Yes. Yeah, um, Moselle? Correct, yes. Okay. Search of ponds? Yes. Okay. You assisted sled at some point throughout this investigation yeah anytime they needed anything from the sheriff's office uh agent owen could go through me or my captain uh whether it was storing a vehicle as evidence or using our evidence bay to process anything i was there to to assist in any way that they needed and did you assist i guess in the uh, helping with alex um, murdoch's car as far as getting anything out of that car um no sled process okay, to that now if you just listen to my questions not going to leave, I just want to ask you one final question. Is the individual in this courtroom who told you he tried to take the pulse of Maggie and Paul, is the individual in this courtroom who told you he tried to turn Paul over, told you that once, twice, is the individual in this courtroom that you took that statement from that we saw in this video in this courtroom, and is the individual you described as clean from head to toe in this courtroom? Yes, he is. Please point him out for the jury. He's sitting at the defense table wearing a grayish-brown jacket and a white shirt. Your Honor, we'd like the record to reflect that she has pointed out the defendant, Richard Alexander Murdoch. It does. Thank you, Ms. Oliver. Ladies and gentlemen, we have you go to the jury room for a break. Please do not discuss the case. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. After the break, Judge Clifton Newman clarifies several procedural issues outside the presence of the jury. And then, after the jury returns to the courtroom, he invites the defense to cross-examine Detective Rutland. For the first time in the trial, Jim Griffin handles the questioning on behalf of Alex Murdoch. 
Griffin is a tall man with a bald pate and close-cropped silver hair on the sides. He wears a gray suit, white shirt, and a red tie. Griffin begins awkwardly by misstating the witness's name. The jury is present. Thank you. Cross-examination. Mr. Griffin. Detective Cross, good morning. Good morning. My name is Jim Griffin. Detective Rutland. Rutland, I'm sorry. That's okay. My name is Jim Griffin, and I represent Alan Murdoch. Mm -hmm. You had testified on direct examination a moment ago that it was, you believe, somewhat unusual for Mr. Murdoch to go visit his mother as late as 9.06 on a Monday evening. You're called testifying? I, I do. And you were sitting in the car when he was being interviewed, and you recall him saying that his father, Mr. Randolph Murdoch, had just been put in the hospital that very day. That's correct. And that it was an unusual day because Mr. Randolph Murdoch was not with Ms. Libby Randolph, and she gets anxious when that occurs. You remember that? I remember him saying okay. something along those lines. And in, in that context, it's you don't criticize a son who goes to visit his mother, who has early onset dementia, on the very day in the afternoon that the father is admitted to the hospital. You're not here to criticize him for that, are you? No, I didn't criticize. I just made a mental note that that was interesting. And you walked the crime scene when you arrived, and you made some mental notes and observations that you subsequently recorded in a report, did you not? I did. One of the things that you mentally noted and then subsequently recorded was that there was tremendous amount of blood spatter in the feed room area and around where Paul was murdered. Is that correct? That's correct. And there was brain matter and organic matter all about the place where Paul was murdered, correct? That's correct. And I think you even described that there was blood that went up to the ceiling and to the door and, and spatter everywhere, right? That's correct. And you also told the jury that Alec was clean, and you're referring to his shirt was clean, correct? Correct. His shorts were clean, correct? Correct. You remember the litany of Mr. Matters, shorts, shirts, shoes were clean, correct? That's correct. He was clean, correct? To my visual eye, he was clean, yes. And to your visual eye, it did not look like he had just blown his son's head off in the confines of a feed room where splatter is everywhere. Isn't that correct? I didn't say that. Well, let me ask you. In your mind's eye, that night on June 7th, did he look like someone had just blown his son's head off, splatter going everywhere? Again, I, I can't say that for sure. A lot, of a lot of things would come into play to affect that. Distance is one of them. Well, certainly if he appeared that way on the night of June the 7th, you were sworn law enforcement officer, you would have initiated process to take him into custody, I suspect, wouldn't you? No, that was not my role that evening. I was just assisting. One of the things you did that evening, Ms. Rutland, was you obtained a search warrant, did you not? I did. And that was your first official duty in connection with this double homicide investigation, right? That's correct. And I'm going to show you Exhibit 3, Your Honor. You recognize Exhibit 3? I do. This is the search warrant I got that night. Your Honor, we'd move Exhibit 3 into evidence this time, I believe, without objection. Okay. it. Let's just talk about a search warrant. What is a search warrant? It grants us the right to, to search a certain item that may be potential evidence in a case. And this search warrant uh, was for what property? 4147 Moselle Road in Islington, County of Colleton, State of South Carolina. And, and it covers the whole roughly 1,700 acres of the whole property, does it not? That is correct. And it covers the house, 
the, the residence where you went into the foyer, right? Correct. It covers all the outbuildings, correct? Correct. And it gives you the right to seize any type of evidence, correct? That is correct. And this is the search warrant, right? Yes, it is. And it says description of premises uh, to be searched. And here it's 4147 Moselle Road, Islington. And then there's a PIN number. What's, what's the PIN number? That's a property identification number that's assigned to every parcels of real property within the county. It's set by the tax office. It says the property to be searched are any residences, vehicles, outbuildings, kennels, or sheds, right? That is correct. And then it says the description of the property to search and to be seized, and that's under the description of property, right? Correct. And you prepared this document for the magistrate to sign. I did. And here says evidence that may be used or taken during the commission of a crime of homicide to include but not limited any item, tool, clothing, gloves, masks, hats, hoodies, shoes, boots, jewelry, firearms, ammunition, shell casings, gunshot residue, weapons, identification documents, any paperwork, etc. It says any evidence inside vehicles on the property, any evidence found on in outbuildings or sheds, any tire, shoe impressions, any and all DNA to include but not limited to fingerprints, touch DNA, etc., any drugs, narcotics, drugs, paraphernalia, any and all cellular phones, phone records to include incoming, outcoming calls, text messages, voice messages, etc. And it goes on to talk about photographs and whatnot. It's all encompassing, isn't it? It is. And this is basically as broad as a search warrant that, that you draft because it's a homicide investigation and it gives you carte blanche on the property of the crime scene, correct? That's correct. And with the search warrant, you had the authority to go in the house and look for unclean, dirty clothes, did you not? That was, I wasn't in that capacity that evening. I was assisting. Well, the search warrant provided that authority to law enforcement, did it not? It, it would have, yes. And you mentioned that... You got into uh, the law enforcement business because you're CSI TV junkie of sorts. Did I understand you say that? Yeah, I was. Okay, and 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 you've seen CSI shows where they go and they they look in the drains of showers or sinks and to see if blood residue had been recently flushed through there. That's possible, is it not? It could be. And that's just not on TV. I mean, that's that's skills that sleds crime team has available to them, correct? I don't know what they have available, but that would be a crime scene unit question. Right. And, and actually, there were the clean clothes that Alec Murdoch was wearing that night, they were seized, were they not? Yes. Okay. And the clean shoes were seized, correct? Yes. And the clean shirt was seized, was it not? Yes, it was. You were in the house when that happened, but you didn't collect the clothes, right? I did not collect anything. I stood by in the foyer. And who did the collection? Do you recall? Special Agent Owen. And when was he assisted by anybody? I was just standing by. They went to a back bedroom and I was in the foyer area. It was like an open floor plan. You recall what Special Agent Owen did? Uh, you observed what he collected the clothes in? I did not. Well, did he collect all the clothes and put them in one paper bag? I don't recall. The jury heard the complete video audio of the interview with Alec Murdoch on the evening early morning hours of, of June the 8th, and yet you were asked to repeat some of the things that he said, and I mean, the tape speaks for itself. I don't want anyone to misconstrue your testimony, so I just want to ask you, are you saying that Mr. Murdoch tried to turn his son over two times on that tape, or that on two occasions he described one incident that he tried to turn his son over? 
the latter that he explained twice, two different times. So, so in answer to your question, if anyone walked away thinking that, that Alan Murdoch told you that he tried to turn him over two times, that would just be mistaken and we've now clarified it, right? Correct. Now, Special Agent Owen never asked Mr. Mur Murdoch how he tried to turn his son over, correct? That's a Correct. And, and so, see Mr. Matters crawling around on the floor down here as trying to reenact something, but that night he never was asked specifically, what did you do to try to turn your son over, correct? That's correct. We did not ask that. And that night he was not asked specifically how the phone popped out of his pocket while you were trying to turn him over, correct? Correct. And that night he was not asked specifically how far were you able to move Paul, if at all, when you tried to flip him over, correct? Correct. In fact, did he really say that I was trying to flip him over to check his pulse? I'd have to check the transcript, but I, I believe he said something along those lines. Well, did he tell you where he tried to check Paul's pulse? He did not. So we don't know from your interview, Special Agent Owen's interview, how he tried to turn him over, how the phone popped out, or at least how Alec describes it, because he wasn't asked, and where on Paul's body he attempted to check his pulse, correct? Correct. And, and you were asked questions about whether there were knee prints and footprints by Paul's body next to his body, right? Yes, I was asked that. And, and did you do such a forensic analysis investigation to see if there are boot prints or footprints around Paul's body? I looked with my eyes. And were you aware that before you got there? Well, let me, what time did you get there? 12.22 a.m. I was on scene. Okay, 12.22 a.m. And Paul's body and Maggie's bodies were covered up with a sheet, but still present, correct? Correct. So when you were looking at Paul's body, just observing whether there are footprints near him, you couldn't see right next to his body because of the sheet, could you? The sheet was mostly on his body, not on the cement on the ground next to the body. Was it a fitted sheet? No, but it wasn't a queen sheet either. Then curious seen photos of the sheet. Were you aware that Captain Chapman and others went around Paul's body and lifted the sheet up to see if there was a gun underneath him. Not at the time I was at the scene, no. Well, I take it you did not observe their footprints anywhere in the area either then, right? Not that I recall. And you said that Alex's pants were clean. Remember saying that? I remember saying that. What color pants did he have on? Khaki. And are you aware of any forensic testing that had been done to the pants to see whether there was blood on the pants? That night? Subsequently? No, there was nothing done that night forensically. That night nothing was done forensically? Not before I interviewed him, no. And you just did not observe any blood on his pants or in his pocket? No, just simply speaking with him like this, looking him up and down, I did not see any blood on him. And he didn't look like someone who had just been within feet of blowing Paul's head off, right? Again, I can't say that. There's so many different factors that you would have to take into account. Now. You did a lot more, I believe, that night. A after you left, when, when you got to the scene, you partnered up with Agent Owen, correct? That is correct. And you saw inside the shed, and you observed there was wadding on the floor near his feet, Paul's feet. Correct. And when you say wadding, what are you talking about? The internal components of a shotgun shell. And then you saw in the rear window of the shed, there were several holes, right? That is correct. And you... Driving your report that you saw large amounts of blood spatter and brain skull matter were on the door to the shed on the items within the storage building. You saw all that, right? That's correct. And then you, 
you went and examined Maggie's body, did you not? I wouldn't say examined. I would just say I, I looked at her. And well, one of the things that you noticed when you were looking at Maggie's body, I believe, you said you noticed there are a few clumps of her hair and a broken earring were located near a UTV tire, right? That is correct. And what's UTV tire? An all-terrain vehicle, like a four-wheeler, side-by-side. Griffin puts up on the screen one of the crime scene photographs with boot prints in the mud near Paul Murdoch's body. You talked about these foot impressions that, that you observed, right? I did. How do you zoom in? You mentioned that, that you told investigators that, that worked for me and Mr. Harputlian that the boot prints were not yours in these photos, right? That is correct. But now you told the jury that the boot prints are yours. That's incorrect. Those are not my boot prints. Okay. Whose boot prints are they? I don't know. Oh, so I'm just, okay. That's why I get to do this. So, these questions. So, you don't know whose boot prints those are? No. Now, one thing about the search warrant that I asked you about earlier, it was never executed, was it? I handed this off to sled agents once I was at the scene. Thank you. You said you handed the search warrant off to sled agents? I did. Okay. But to your knowledge, was it ever executed? Yes, it was. Oh, you think it was executed? It was. And why do you say that? Because the SLED crime scene unit, I was present while they were processing the scene and executing the search warrant. And, and so there, there are two ways that law enforcement can get access to property. One is through a search warrant and one's by consent. Is that right? That's correct. Now, are you aware that Mr. Murdoch gave SLED, Colleton County, any law enforcement, FBI, carte blanche consent to search his property? That wasn't relayed to me. I was asked, tasked with getting a search warrant, so I did. Okay, and, and once a search warrant is executed, a return is filed with the magistrate who issued it, right? That's correct. And you, you never filed a return on that search warrant, right? So you have, um, it, like I said, it was given to SLED, so. So we'll find out more about that. But to your knowledge, I mean, you didn't file a return. That's all you can say, right? I don't recall. I have to check my notes. You heard on uh, the tape, you heard Mr. Murdoch say, you can do anything, look for anything. Do you remember him just giving consent to whatever you need? As far as um, speaking with him, yes, I remember him saying that. And you walked back through the crime scene one last time before you cleared the area on the morning of the 8th. Is that right? You could say that. We were, I mean, we were walking around the whole night and staying out of the way of the crime scene unit. Were you there after the crime scene unit left? No, I was not. They were still processing when I left. Do you know whether or not the um, crime scene unit left shotgun pellets I have behind at the, in the feed room? I have no knowledge of any of that. 20, 30, even more shotgun pellets left behind in the feed room. Were you aware of that? Objection. Sustained. On Thursday, June 10th, you went with SLED, a number of SLED agents and law enforcement agents went to meet with Mr. Murdoch, Murdoch's brothers, Randy and John Marvin, Mr. Murdoch's son. And they all agreed to meet and y'all found a location in outside of Barnpool, I believe. You remember doing that? I do, I remember doing that. And that was, during that, I, I believe you and the SLED agent interviewed Mr. Randy Murdoch, correct? That's correct. And Mr. Randy Murdoch agreed to allow the download of his cell phone, correct? That's correct. And gave consent, right? He did. And Mr. Alec Murdoch, to your knowledge, gave consent to download his cell phone, correct? To my knowledge, yes. And Mr. John Marvin Murdoch did the same, correct? Correct. And Mr. Buster Murdoch did the same, correct? He did. And everyone gave a voluntary interview that day. 
to your knowledge, right? They did. And then did you assist sled dive team on June 16, 2021? I did. And with a search of the Moselle property, focusing on waterways, ponds, the Salkahatchee River access points for evidence from the crime, correct? That's correct. Were you looking for the firearms that were used to murder Maggie and Paul? We were looking for anything that could have been linked to their murders. And then you utilize ATVs and canvas the entire 1,700 acres of land? I did. That was my assignment that day. And once again, that was done with consent by Mr. Murdoch, correct? That is correct. And then went back the next day, dove another pond on the property. You remember doing that? I didn't dive, but I was standing by, yes. You were there? <laughs> yes. And again, that was with consent, right? Correct. And then you were uh, given consent, and you did a search of a white F-250 pickup that Paul normally drove, right? That is correct. And while you were there, Mr. Davis shows up. Mr. Davis, you understood to be the caretaker for the dogs, right? Yes, that's what he explained his job title was at Moselle. And that did you observe him doing his work that day? I did. Did you watch him wash down the um, dog runs? I don't remember that part. But you were able to look at his tire marks and make an assessment as to whether they appeared to match the tire marks that were seen under the shed portion next to the, the old airplane hangar, right? That's correct. He, he parks under the canopy next to the UTV. And then on Friday, June the 18th, you had a meeting and you, you looked at uh, some photos, I believe crime scene photos and autopsy photos of SLED, correct? I did. And you made a mental note and you put it in your record that, that you noticed a few strands of what appeared to be brown hair, unable to determine the length from the photo in Maggie's hands and fingers, right? That is correct. And you thought that that possibly was indication of a struggle, that Maggie had grabbed someone, had their hair in her hands, right? I didn't say that in my report, no. So why did you note it in your report? Because it was an observation. Well, you also noticed uh, in your report that there were some injuries, what appeared to be to Paul's face, that like he had been some type of struggle, right? I noted what, what to me could have been scratches or a bruise on his cheek. And, and we heard some testimony yesterday about a bolo on the lookout for a white pickup that Paul normally drives. I mean, that pickup was found the next morning, correct? That's correct. It was broken down. And you learned through your investigation that Paul had switched vehicles with his uncle John Marvin, and John Marvin was rushing to Moselle when he got the phone call in Paul's truck, and it broke down the side of the road. Yeah, that's correct. It was, uh, Mr. I believe, Mr. Randolph struggled to get in and out of the truck. Did Collin County Sheriff's Office put out a statement to the press on the morning of June the 8th that there's no need to public to be alarmed? I don't believe that came from our office. Uh, it did not come through CID for approval. I never seen that press release. Your assisting sled, night of June the 7th, morning June the 8th, with Alec Murdoch a suspect? That night everybody was a suspect. Everybody? Can you be more specific? Who else were suspects besides? Well, there was reasons we were asking certain questions. Who his best friend is, who, you know, their, their routine each day. There were so many different scenarios it could have been that night. So. In my view, everybody was a suspect at that point. Including Alec. Including Alec. Griffin puts up on the courtroom screens video from the crime scene of Paul Murdoch's body and asks the detective... Can you see that, Mr. I can, yes, sir. Okay. Well, let's just stop right there. You see how far that sheet is on either side of Paul's body there? At this point in time, yes, I see how it looks. Is, is that how roughly how far it was across Paul's body when you got there? No, because I could still I could see the top of his head. Well, I'm talking about uh, the, the width of his body. Was it that far across? I don't recall how it was because I could, I could see parts of his body, but it was still on him. Okay. 
Did you notice any footprints of the agent there inside the kennel? No, I believe he's standing on the, in the food room. In the feed room. Right. No, but it was uh, starting to rain. Okay, you stop right there, please. Was that how far across the sheet was when you observed Paul's body? I don't remember. Like I said, when I got there, there was uh, sled agents as well as deputies standing around the scene, and I wasn't sure what had happened before I got there. I don't recall how the sheet was. Well, was the sheet on Paul's body the entire time you were walking the crime scene? No, eventually it was removed when the crime scene unit was ready to process his body. I just want to clear up. When you said Alec was wearing khakis, were you referring to shorts or long pants? Shorts. Your Honor, we're going to publish a small portion of the video in the car, which is their last exhibit. Those are shorts he was wearing? Yes. Are those khakis or green? Khaki style, green. <laughs> okay. All right. That's all. You can take it then. That's all the questions we have, John. Judge Newman invites Prosecutor Matters to ask follow-up questions of Detective Rotland. Right. Yes, sir. Mr. Griffin asked you about some things you did after your interview the following days. He did. And you had mentioned a search warrant was executed. Were you working with SLED after June 8th? He asked you about them. And did you work with them in executing search warrants? I did. Specifically on June 9th. Who were you working with? Special Agent Owen. And I think Mr. Griffin, did Mr. Griffin ask you the truck on the side of the road that went back to a brother, John Marvin? That's correct. So that was the white truck yes. that was on the side of the road? Yes. Who did it belong to? John Marvin. Okay, and that was off the property of myself? That's correct. Okay. So that has nothing to do with this case as far as suspect and this killing does? No, it did not. We processed it to rule it out. He asked you about meeting with these folks and then talking to you. You were working with SLED doing that, weren't you? I was. SLED was investigating this case? Yes. In general, yes. getting swabs? I was present when swabs were taken, yes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not trying to say yeah. you took them. I'm no. just following up on this That's question. correct, yeah. Were you present when interviews were taken? So I was present, yes. And who was leading those interviews? SLED. Who was in charge? SLED. Were they investigating? They were investigating. Did you assist SLED with the initial timeline on phone calls? I did. On June 12th, did you assist SLED in removing an internal computer black box of a Chevy Suburban? I did, by standing by. On June 14th, did you assist SLED in obtaining a search warrant for Maggie Murdoch's Mercedes? I did. And was Lieutenant Kent in charge of that? He was. Was SLED investigating? SLED was investigating. Was that what's referred to as the blue box? Black box, I black believe. Box. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Were you with SLED when Maggie Murdoch's Mercedes was towed? I was. Did y'all have a search warrant for that? We did. Were you with SLED when ponds were searched in the area? I was. June 16th, would you dispute that, 2021? No, that's correct. And I think Mr. Griffin asked you about a truck that a Mr. Davis was driving out of the shed. Were you able to confirm that the tire tracks in the shed were his? I did, by looking at them. By looking at them? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think Mr. Griffin asked you, did Mr. Davis said he was in and out of there a couple of times a day? Twice a day, yes. So those tracks inside the shelter were whose? The, the dog caretaker, Mr. Davis. And I think he asked you about water. Remind me, the night you were there, did you see water around the bodies? I did. He asked you about some injuries, I think, that you had noted in your report. How did Paul fall? Face down at an angle outside the feed room. On what? On his hands and arms. Okay. But his face hit what? The gravel. Ms. Griffin asked you about how many times the defendant, Richard Alexander Murdoch, had mentioned to turn his son Paul's body. Actually, I think I tried to turn Paul over first. You remember him saying that? Yes. You know, I tried to turn him over, and I, I don't know, I figured it out. Yes. And uh, his cell phone popped out. Correct. And I tried to do something, mm -hmm. thinking maybe, but then I put it back down. Correct. 
his word, I think I tried to turn him over. Yes. And later on, I tried to turn him, and then I tried to check him. Correct. I tried to turn him. Correct. He asked you about the sheet on the body. Did you see the front or the top of Maggie's, oh, excuse me, Paul's head? I did. Okay. And he asked you about the sheet over that body. I want to ask you about when you saw Richard Alexander Murdoch, did he have a sheet over him? He did not. Could you see his face, his hands, his body, his pants, and his shirt? I could. Did he look like somebody who just changed his clothes? Yes. Basis for the objection. Matters chooses to rephrase his question. Did those clothes appear to be fresh? They did. Like they just come out of the laundry? They could be. Judge Newman invites defense attorney Griffin for one last opportunity to question Detective Rutland. Detective, it was raining that night, wasn't it? It started to rain before we did our interview. Can you put up that photo of his shorts shirt that we saw a minute ago? So these are the clothes that, that you saw him wearing sitting in the car? Correct. And your testimony to those clothes look like they're freshly washed. He's sweating and they are dry, so I would say yes. Thank you. And with the conclusion of Detective Rutland's testimony, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join our next installment as we review Prosecutor Metter's questioning of Detective Rutland about the interview conducted with Alex Murdoch by herself and SLED agent David Owen in Agent Owen's vehicle on the night of the Murdoch homicides. Also, check out the new crime story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.